0: Back to more John Chuckery.
1: No, no. No, I'm having a good time. Having a good time. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
0: Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Halfway home on the John Chuckery Show. Hanging out with you in the Kia studios on this Tuesday evening. 404-741-0929. That's our Sodom and Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Honestly, apps how you catch us on the go. Social media at 92.9 The Game and. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm at jmch316. He is at underscore Dylan Matthews. We will do Rankum coming up at 1040. Coming up in about 20 minutes from right now, we'll get into a That's Life. So, obviously, one of the big topics of discussion as I've been out and, uh, you know, on my sick leave was the idea of Bringing you know a lot of rumor and innuendo about Lamar Jackson and you know would he come here and we we talked about in the Falcons flyover a trade scenario through the Washington Post. Now let me say first and foremost, and I know the Ravens, um, you know, moved on or parted ways. I don't know if they outright fired him, but you know, parted ways with their offensive coordinator. Okay, and I'll say this: if you're the Ravens franchise. Why would you move on from Lamar Jackson? You've set your whole offense up around him and for him and everything else, and why why would you move on from lamar jackson? i I, I don't really understand that. And the coach and general manager have been in total agreement, total agreement. They've said one hundred percent, two hundred percent, five hundred percent. they have they have no plans and no desire to get rid of Lamar Jackson. Either he's going to sign a long-term deal or they'll franchise him for a while. And, and it'll, it might even be multiple years, but they'll do it. But that aside, here's what I'll say about Lamar Jackson, okay? First off, you remember when people in 2020 told me about how Matt Ryan, you know, is – you know, four years, he's, he's four years from his MVP. That's a long time. Well, you know how, how long Lamar Jackson's from his MVP? Four years. Well, he's still really young. Okay. But he ages at a quicker pace because of all the hits and everything else that he takes. He was already, I mean, he already missed more games this year than Matt Ryan did in his entire 14-year career. Here's the reality of the Lamar Jackson debate and all this kind of stuff, and it's not really even a debate and things like that. Why would you give up all of the draft capital, pay out all of the money, eat up all of your um, available, you know, so much of your available cap space when you're not a quarterback away from being in the Super Bowl? You're not a quarterback away from – being in the game at the end of the year that decides the championship. You're still not very close. You still have a whole crap ton of things to fix on your roster, both your lines of scrimmage, locking up some of your linebackers, figuring out your secondary, you know, establishing a guy who can be on the other side of A.J. Terrell, and then, you know, depending on if you want to upgrade at your safeties, Nickel Corn- Like, there are so many holes still with this Falcons team that it doesn't make sense to give up the entire universe to, to still be more than a quarterback away. You know, the reason that the Browns gave up the assets and the money and things like that is because they've drafted really well. You know, they drafted Miles Garrett. They've drafted Nick Chubb. They've drafted several of their offensive linemen. They've drafted their defensive, you know, their secondary, Denzel Ward and those guys. They drafted all those guys. They don't need more draft picks. And they've signed Jadavion Clowney. They have what they think is a Super Bowl-ready roster. They don't have a quarterback. That's more of a Super Bowl-ready roster. That's the way the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were. Remember when the Buccaneers were fledgling around at seven and nine? With uh Jameis Winston. A- and we looked at it and said, man, they're a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl team. Because they had a, you know, a decent but not great offensive line. They had an outstanding defensive line with Vita Vey and those guys. Great linebackers, good secondary, skill position people at you know, wide receivers and tight ends and all that kind of stuff. Maybe not as good in the running game. And then they got Tom Brady. And what's the first thing they drafted for Tom Brady? Oh, Tristan Wirfs, huh? Who in his second year was first team all NFL. First team all NFL in his second year in the league. That's how you get good, and that's a team that was a quarterback away. But this franchise is nowhere near a quarterback away From being a you know a a Super Bowl contender because if you're paying that kind of money for Lamar Jackson and he turned down supposedly the rumor and innuendo is he turned down somewhere between 160 and 180 million 160 something million let's just say on the low end 160 that he turned down well how much is that going to cost the Falcons 200. 200-plus. So, again, when you – and Lamar Jackson's not a free agent. He, they can franchise him. They'll ask for the moon and sun and stars to – you know, for compensation back. But you're not a quarterback away for this team. You might be a playoff team. But, again, the Minnesota Vikings were never going to go anywhere. The the New York Giants were not going to go anywhere in the playoffs. They can say they were in the playoffs, but they were never real contenders. You know, there there are such things as contenders and non-contenders, even when you get to the playoffs. The Vikings were never a contender. I got my buddy Robbie, who's a Vikings fan. Oh, Kirk Cousins and this, that, and the other. Kirk Cousins. Well, what's Kirk Cousins going to win you? He's never won anything before. He's never going to win you anything again. And I'm not even of the mindset to bring in uh, Derek Carr and guys like that. They haven't won anything. Der- Derek Carr had Khalil Mack, Amari Cooper all in their prime, and they didn't win squat. They went to one playoff, he didn't even play. And they, were, and they had their, their third-string quarterback at that point. Who, who, was the, who was the kid out of Michigan, Michigan State? And he was their third-string quarterback out of Michigan State when, when they went to the playoffs with Mac and Cooper and all those guys. He's not won anything. There's something to winning in the NFL. But the Falcons will give up all of the money and the assets to please their owner. I mean, look, this this comes down this comes down to Arthur Blank. This is not Arthur Smith and it's not Terry Fontenot. The the whole the whole uh who's the quarterback? Connor Cook. Yeah, Connor Cook, right? Out of Michigan State. Even in my brain dead state I figured all that out, right? But you give up all you, you know, you you Cut way in because he's going to want guaranteed money to, to your available capital. You give up all kinds of draft picks just to not just you know to be a, a roster that's still not a quarterback away. Again, and we talked about this earlier in the show. We'll talk about it a little bit later on the show. Stay the course. Build your lines of scrimmage. Get yourself better. And if Desmond Ritter, you know, you give him a chance, but until you improve things around him, you know, how much of a difference is it is it going to make? And by the way, this team won seven games with inferior quarterback play this year. And you did it through some smoke and mirrors. But you got to get the rest of your roster, you know, Look, even the Ravens who are historically a good team when it comes to drafting and who are a much better organization than the Falcons are. I think the I think the I think that the Ravens have only had like 5 losing seasons in 20 years. Over the last 20 years. It hasn't been very many. They've been a very good organization. And even their organization you know, it was Joe Flacco, right? You know, it was Trent Dilfer that's got them, you know, got them to their Super Bowl championship runs. But I I just, I, I don't think it makes sense for this franchise to go all in. And, and look, they were going to do it with Deshaun Watson. You know, either they weren't going to allocate all of the draft picks or they weren't going to give... The $240 million, because you'd crush your cap. But the Browns think that they are a quarterback away from the Super Bowl. Because when you have the best running back duo with Chubb and Kareem Hunt, when you have arguably one of the five best pass rushers, and then the the, maybe one of the best complementary pieces at pass rush in the NFL, which Avion Clowney, you line up Garrett and Clowney, you have top flight talent that's still on contracts that are team-friendly, the Denzel Wards, Greedy Williams, Delpit, and guys like that. And you have an outstanding offensive line. They have an outstanding offensive line. They they were really good, you know, when they had Joe Thomas and all those guys, you know, and and they've had Jack Conklin and Batonio and guys like that. They've had an outstanding offensive line for years. So you could claim that they were – a quarterback away. This roster isn't. This team isn't a quarterback away. Would the Falcons be better? Yeah, I think the Falcons would be better. But if you're going to give up all that capital, all the draft picks, all of the the possible player trades, allocate all of the money, if you're going to do that, then you better be ready to contend for a Super Bowl and not in... Two or three years now. The NFL is a not-for-long league because if you if you go the Lamar route and you don't win right away, you're getting rid of Terry uh, Fontenot and Arthur Smith, even if they're if it's no fault of theirs because it's an Arthur Blank call. Arthur's going to get rid of those guys and find the right guys that can win with this guy. And now you're bringing in a whole new system, and now you're starting all over again. It just doesn't, for, for a whole bunch of reasons, it doesn't make sense for the Falcons to do this. Stay the course. Build your roster the correct way. Line of scrimmage. Sack the quarterback. You know, we talked about the other night on the show, look, the last five Super Bowl winners, the Rams were third in the NFL in sacks. The Buccaneers were fourth in the NFL in sacks. uh, Yeah, the Chiefs were 11th in the NFL in sacks. The Patriots were 30th in the NFL in sacks, and the Eagles, the uh, year that Nick Foles won it, were 15th in the NFL in sacks. So the one outlier is if you have the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL, the single most important player to ever suit up in the NFL With regards to winning, if you have that guy at quarterback, then you can avoid sacking the quarterback. Short of that, you know, even with Stafford and Mahomes and the older version of Tom Brady, you have to have an ability to sack the other team's quarterback and build your defensive line and everything that goes along with it. So I just don't think it makes a lot of sense to get into this Lamar talk, and again, it's a lot of speculation, a lot of speculation out there. I don't understand why the Ravens would move on, you know, unless they just are cheap, but they've historically not been cheap when it comes to trying to pay players. So anyway, all right, when we come back, it's going to be time for That's Life. The doomsday clock is at its closest point in its history. Is there something going on we don't know about? And our top 10 as well. Chuckery in the Kia Studios, Sports Radio 929, The Game, Odyssey.com app. Back
1: to more John Chuckery. He's in the
2: zone.
0: Sports Radio 929, The Game. Sports Radio 929, The Game. Back in the Kia Studios on The John Chuckery Show. 921, you know what time it is. That's life.
1: That's life. That's what
0: all the people say. 404 741 That's our Sodom and Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app's so how you catch us on the go. Social media, at 929 the game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. At JMSH316. He's at underscore Dylan Matthews. Coming up in an hour from now, we will uh, do some rank with you. And... Uh, About 20 minutes from right now, we'll hear from Brad Rowland. Had a chance to catch up with him, host of Locked On Hawks, on the Locked On Podcast Network. We'll uh, get into some discussion about the Atlanta Hawks basketball team. Dylan, do you know what the doomsday clock is? Is that like the clock when the world is supposed to end? Well, so it was created in the 1950s because of the proliferation of nuclear weapons. And when ah. we were in the Cold War yes. with Russia. Yes. So are you familiar with Russia?
1: <laughs> yes, I'm familiar okay. with Russia so and the Cold are, War. Are you
0: familiar with the Cold War? Yes. That is okay. when
1: nobody's no blood was actually spilled, but there was a war going on. Okay, um, but they, I mean, there it was a war, but it, like it, it was, was more like a arms race. It was
0: a it was an arms race. It was yes. a diplomatic uh, anyway. But yes, but no blood um, was exactly shed. Yes, yes. That's we why didn't it's fight? Called a cold we didn't world. fight. But the Doomsday Clock was created, where if the clock was at midnight, the it was the threat of Armageddon. Like oh. it was, it was nuclear. It was going to be nuclear war. Yeah, and it's it's gotten close at different times and stuff like that. But the doomsday clock recently here was moved to within 90 seconds of midnight, which is Armageddon just, what, today on January 24th. It's a minute and a half away. Now, I know I've been brain dead and I've been out of the loop. What have I missed about, about potential nuclear war? Because it wasn't even that close in the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, even, you know, really in the 70s and 80s when we were in the heart of the Cold War, when it was at its peak, and we were all trying to create nuclear weapons to blow everybody up. Like, what did I miss over the last month or so here, six weeks here? I don't really follow politics or anything like that, so I don't know. I missed it, too. (laughs) Because... It seems like it's been the same. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just hoping that I didn't miss something. But, yeah, the doomsday clock is at the, is at the, it's the closest it's ever been, in the history of of our country. Wow. And, and this dates back to just after World War II. Like it, it was. It's all through the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, into the 2000s, and it's the closest it's ever been, uh, in the history of the clock. So. Um, listen, you know, if, if we're going down, you know, I'm, I'm going to live it up. But anyway. Right. You you might survive, Chuck. Yeah. Listen, I'll, (laughs) you might be here with the roaches, right? Like I'll be the only one that survives, you know, from the apocalypse, like from the nuclear war and everything like that. Yeah. I'll, I'll be the one because only the good die young at this point. So, all right. Um, I sent you this picture. Okay. Yes. And it's a movie test. Yes. You get one point for each movie that you've seen. Yes. Now, I'll kind of quickly go over all of this so you can you can go through your checklist uh, if you're playing at home, mm-hmm. or the home version of That's Life. Um, so here's the 50 movies, okay? Um, Titanic, The Prestige, Breakfast at Tiffany's, City of God, The Shining, Gone with the Wind, Casablanca, Spirited Away. I can barely see this thing. Uh, Reservoir Dogs. Inception. 500 Days of Summer. Old Boy. Bored with the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Citizen Kane. Get Out. Burn After Reading. Crouching Tiger. Hidden Dragon. uh, Fight Club. The Handmaiden. Moulin Rouge. Interstellar. Jaws. Blue Velvet. Pan's Labyrinth, Some Like It Hot, Wizard of Oz, Hot Fuzz, Black Swan, Drive, The Sound of Music, Slumdog Millionaire, Russian Ark, Donnie Darko, Star Wars, uh, Alien, Avatar, Psycho, V for Vendetta, Gladiator, Mary Poppins, Chinatown, Mean Girls, Ocean's Eleven, Godfather, Shape of Water, Forrest Gump, Dark Knight, The Exorcist, Up, Dunkirk, and the Evil Dead. So there's the list, okay? So how many points did you score on this thing? And before you answer. Yes. I will say 14.
1: You guys, 14. Yes. All right. I have 5, 10, 15, 20, 24. Really?
0: Yeah. Well, not too bad. Wow, okay. I've I've only got 25. Really? Yes. Wow. I've I've only got 25. Now I've seen parts of some of these movies, okay. Mm. Like I've seen parts of V for Vendetta, yeah, okay. But I've never sat through the whole movie. Gotcha. Um, I've never sat through the. I I know, I know what some like it hot is. That's Tony Curtis, Marilyn Monroe, and all that. I know what some like it hot is, and I've seen little bits of it, but I've not seen like the whole thing. So I'm I'm familiar with, and there's some of these movies that. Like Russian Ark. I'm not familiar with I've that. I've never heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not familiar with that. So I'm surprised. I'm surprised that you had 24 yeah. on that list. I've seen so.
1: a, this. This is a, a solid list for me. I've seen now Interstellar. That's the one with uh, George Clooney. Is yes. that, Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah I've yes. seen that. Okay. Space yeah. movie. Yes yes, yes, yes. Okay, I've seen that. I
0: haven't seen that movie. Um, it was okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, like. I, I've not sat down and watched the whole thing with Breakfast at Tiffany's. Now, Sidney Poitier, Aubrey Hepburn, right? I mean, George Pappard, right? They're all in that movie. But I've never sat down and watched the whole thing. I'm familiar with it, and I'm, I've seen some of it, but I haven't sat down and watched the movie from start to finish. Right. So there you go. But that's that's impressive. I, I'm, I'm impressed that you got 24. Here we go. All right. Not so bad. <laughs> L- listen to this. There was a there. There is a, it's a baseball card, okay, and it's of Babe Ruth, okay. Now, it's a booklet card, okay. So, it's it's a card that opens up. So, like you know, like a regular baseball card, you know, like like it's front and the back, right? Okay, and it's like this size or whatever, okay. But the booklet card opens up to, like, you got text in the middle, you know. Oh, okay. On, 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 you got text everywhere. It's it's like, it's like almost two cards in one, oh. but it's it's a booklet, though.
1: It, so okay? it's the size of, like, a book, booklet? It's not the size of no, a baseball card? It,
0: it's the size of if you had two baseball cards oh, okay. side by side one another. Oh. Okay. They're just attached to one another. Gotcha. Okay? okay. So there's a Babe Ruth card. It's a one of one so it's, serial, so it's the only one made. Wow. It's serial numbered, okay? Yeah. yeah. And it's got three pieces of Babe Ruth's uniform in it. Wow. Okay? So it may be uh, like uniform pants or a jersey. The, the card, I'm, I'm, when I'm looking at it, you can see a piece of pinstripe. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Then there's what's called a cut autograph inserted into it, okay? okay? So a cut autograph is, let's say somebody's dead, okay? And let's okay. say that they sign their name on a check, okay? They will cut the autograph part of it and slice it up uh-huh. and then... Put that autograph in a baseball card. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay? I've had Uh those before, like from dead players. Obviously, Babe Ruth is no longer alive to sign an autograph, a baseball card. Right. So you have to have something that's a check or a receipt or whatever. For sure. of, Of his autograph, okay? Right. So this probably is worth tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Except for one catch. Huh? The cut autograph part of the card is of George Brett. Oh no! <laughs> How do you mix that up? I don't know, but it's the it's Not an autograph. The same name, of George Brett. Well, so you know his legal name is George Herman Ruth. Oh, all right. Is Babe Ruth is Babe Ruth's name, uh-huh. but. When I, I've seen several autographs of Babe Ruth, he always signed Babe. Yeah, you know uh, Babe Ruth. He didn't, and, and I don't think he ever even really signed George Herman Ruth. But it's an it's a the whole card is a it's a cutout autograph of George Brett instead of Babe Ruth. The
1: question is, we need to see like Babe Ruth's autograph next to George Brett's autograph and see if they look anything alike. They don't. And that's what they I don't. figured.
0: They don't. You can go to the collectibles guru and see this. And it's it's been several different places. If you just, you know, if you just like get on Twitter and search out the Babe Ruth card. Yeah. It's a one-of-one cut autograph with three pieces of uniform or pants or whatever from from him and it's got George Brett's autograph in it. How how disappointed would you be in something like that? Because that's tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Of value that you've just lost.
1: Oh yeah, I I'm looking at it now.
0: That's all. Uh, hopefully, that's tough. hopefully Panini makes up for this because whew, there's no real fixing this. There, there's no way to fix all of that. So, good luck to the person who pulled it. But yeah, mm, it's that's tough. It's an autograph of George Brett. Man, oh man, oh man. That's something that that's something that would happen to me. Like I, I, I would hit the lottery and then pull George <laughs> Brett's autograph instead of. Babe Bruce autograph. All right. So, the Oscars were announced today, the Oscar nominees and things like that. We saw Top Gun um, be up for best picture. That's really cool. Yep. So, tonight's top 10 list. Your top 10 favorite or best acting performances by a male of all time. We'll save females for another list, but the 10 best acting performances by a male of all time, Dylan, the floor is yours. Okay. Starting at number 10,
1: I'm going to go with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant. And there are going to be some on here that I don't have on here, and it's just strictly because it's movies I have not seen. Mm-hmm. So I have Leonardo DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant. I'm going to go with this one. I wonder if you've seen this movie, Chuck. Have you seen the movie Whiplash? Whiplash?
0: Um no, I it, don't think so.
1: It's the movie is Miles Teller. Um he's been in a bunch of other stuff. You you know the actor when you see him. Um but it was a movie with him and I always forget the dude's real name. Who's um Jay Jonah Jameson and Spider Man? What's
0: what's his name? Oh he's, he's I, in the commercials too. Yeah, he's in the, commercials I, yeah, he's in the insurance name. commercials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He also did that movie where he's the drummer and all that. That's whiplash. Uh, that's Whiplash, yeah. That's oh, Whiplash, okay, all right. where he's the
1: instructor, the band okay, instructor. Yeah, yeah,
0: I think he won the Oscar for that,
1: didn't he? Yeah, okay. So, I'm talking about the dude he was, um, yeah, I don't know who he was I don't teaching. Know who he's, that that was Miles Teller, yeah. So, anyways, I that movie was great. His performance, J. Jonah Jameson, okay. whatever his real name is, yeah. And, and
0: I, again, I think he won the Oscar for that role, didn't
1: he? Yeah, and then the, the dude who he was teaching, uh, the drummer that he was teaching, Miles Teller's character. He had a great performance as well. I mean, he went all out in that character, so I got to give it to him at number nine for that. At number eight, I'm going to go actually with uh, I'm going to go with Johnny Depp for what how he paid uh, played Captain Jack Sparrow in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he did a great job as a pirate
0: as of Captain all, Jack Sparrow. All, you know blow. Um, <laughs> what what's the uh, Donny Brasco? You
1: Edward know, scissors, all, hand, yeah, scissors hands.
0: Yeah, I mean, all of the movies for. You know, uh, Johnny Depp, I mean, and and he's had some pretty good performances. Yeah. Uh, Not Willy Wonka, but he's had some pretty good performances, and we went with the pirate, though. Okay.
1: All right. Yep. And I'm I'm sticking kind of kiddish cartoonish here with this next one. At number six, I'm going with Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man.
0: Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Again, I have to go with movies I've seen. Yes. All right. (laughs) He's perfectly cast in that movie, so okay. He is.
1: is. Okay. (laughs) Whew. Next, <laughs> next, I'm going to
0: go so with. So you've seen 24 of those movies that I gave you, but, uh-huh. but we've got Iron Man and Pirates. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. The, the, the good ones are coming up. Don't worry. The okay. good ones are coming up. Okay.
1: All right. At um, at number six, I'm going to have to go with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio again in his performance in The Wolf of Wall Street. He was very good in that movie. Yeah, he was. And number five, I'm actually going to go with another little curveball here with uh Bill Skarsgard. I'm pretty sure that's not how he pronounced his last name, but he was it. He was Pennywise in the in oh, these newer okay. it movies. Yes. And he did a great job with those roles. I mean he really embodied that role and he was really good. So I, I really I, appreciated I, his performance I in those. I can't
0: remember the guy who did it the guy in the T V movie because the 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 guy who did it in the Oh, Tim Curry. Okay. He, he was in he was uh, Tim Curry was in Home Alone. He was the he oh. was the hotel guy. Okay, like who was chasing after? Yeah. Um, um, what's his name? The the kid in yeah. uh, Home Alone. Um, I don't remember his name. And then he also was in, um, um, oh gosh, what's the what's the oh not Little Shop of Horrors, um, the movie with Susan Sarandon. Uh, they played at midnight all the time. I I can't remember now. See again, I'm brain dead so. <laughs> And I wouldn't remember, I, I wouldn't expect you to remember it. Nah, about say, I don't yeah. you know what you're talking about right now. All right,
1: at number four, I'm going to have to go with Anthony Hopkins for his performance in Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. obviously. Number three, Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump, because life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. At number two, I have to go Al Pacino with uh, his performance in Godfather. You could really do part one or part two. Everybody says part two, so we'll go with that. And then number one, this is always going to be my number one, Heath Ledger for how he was, how he did his performance in as the Joker in the Dark Knight, Yes. Yeah, number I, one of all time.
0: I, I I have Heath Ledger for the Dark Knight uh, as well, outstanding uh, performance. All right, I uh, I ended up doing twelve uh, because I had nice. some ties, but um, Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, it was outstanding in that in that role. I know you've never seen that movie, nope. I don't even don't even know what it means, but he was outstanding. I mean. I think Nicholson and uh, what was her name, Louise, Louise Fletcher, or something like that. She just died recently. Here, they both won the Oscar for Best Actor and Best Actress uh, in the movie. Uh, it was an outstanding movie. Um, he's a criminal. He's locked up in a crazy house and uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, one of my absolute favorite performances is Dustin Hoffman in Kramer versus Kramer. One of the, one of the great movies. Meryl Streep, Dustin Hoffman. I think they were both. I think they? I think they both won the Oscar for the role. I think they? I think they? Uh, I think the uh, the movie was Best Picture. Oh, but uh, Kramer versus Kramer was got a, all the awards. Yeah, was it was a was a, a great one. I have I have uh, Tom Hanks down for Forrest Gump as well. Like, yeah, got that, that character and and his Amazing. you know uh, his acting in that in that movie was uh, outstanding. Gen a. Den, yeah, Denzel uh, Denzel uh, in Training Day. Oh, I should have had that. Yeah. I don't know how I missed that. Oh, yeah,
1: that's I'm going to add that to my list, too.
0: Al Pacino in Injustice for All, one of my favorite performances, my favorite Al Pacino movie. For all the Al Pacino movies, and I understand, but he was outstanding as Arthur Kirkland in Injustice for All. That's a funny movie. It's crazy, but he is outstanding in that. De Niro in Raging Bull. Raging Bull, I still think, is the best Scorsese movie ever done. Uh, even with Goodfellas and everything else, and Departed and everything, else. but Raging Bull, I think is the I think is De Niro's finest uh, finest work. Uh, Brando in The Godfather, I always loved that performance. Uh, Humphrey Bogart in The Maltese Falcon. Never seen that movie? Nope. Okay. I know the Millennium um, Falcon. So. <laughs> uh, Alright. Um. Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. Um, and he was outstanding in that movie. I think he won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, but he was outstanding in that movie. This guy did win the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Christopher Walken for Deer Hunter. Outstanding performance, man. He is outstanding in that movie, playing the Russian roulette and everything like that. He was outstanding in that movie. That That is, that, mo- that that's a really good movie that's, you know, not the real feel-good kind of movie. De Niro, Meryl Streep, Christopher Walken. It's really a great cast. And then, believe it or not, I've got Jesse Eisenberg for The Social Network. I thought oh, he was fantastic okay. as Mark Zuckerberg. I, thought I gotta he see was, that movie. i That movie is, I, I, I really like that movie. I don't know why, but I like those kinds of movies. I loved that movie. I'll so, have to watch that. Yep. I remember so, when
1: I remember the hype around that when that first came out.
0: So there you go, there's our top 10 list. All right, when we get back, we will uh we'll talk to Brad Rowland from Locked On Hawks what he had to say about this team and uh, of course their two-game losing streak. Chuckery in the Kia Studios Sports Radio 929 The Game Odyssey.com app. Back to more John Chuckery. No, no. No, I'm having a good time. Having a good time. Sports Radio 929 The Game. Head out to the WaitForIt.com hotline, host of Locked On Hawks, part of the Locked On Sports uh, Podcast Network. Brad Roland joins us here. He's on Twitter, at BTRoland, to talk some Atlanta Hawks. And Brad, as uh, always, man, uh, glad to have you on board uh, with us. Certainly a frustrating last couple of, you know, few nights here with uh, back-to-back losses and, you know, turnovers have really done this team in the last two
2: games. Yeah, it's kind of weird because usually that's a huge strength of the Hawks. They've been in the top two or three of the league the last two seasons, basically, in avoiding turnovers. And suddenly, uh, over about a 48-hour period, they just could not take care of the basketball. And it was really the biggest reason why they lost both games.
0: You know, it just feels like this team in in some ways is so dysfunctional. You know, because, you know, to your point, they only average about 13 turnovers a game, and it's really cost them the last couple of nights. And then they come off of a – Five-game winning streak where they beat some good teams. Uh, I think they had won five in a row on the road. It, it just, you know, I, I don't know what it is, Brad, whether it's, you know, just health, back, back, uh, you know, uh, backstage drama. I, you know, I can't quite put my finger on, you know, the biggest thing that is holding this team back this year
2: yeah it's really hard it's it's a little bit of everything in a lot of ways i've pointed to the lack of depth for a while because it seems like when the hawks are at full strength you know during that winning streak they had three games in a row or four games in a row where they were actually at full strength and whatever they are they seem to be pretty good and then you, you take one guy away maybe two guys away and the house crumbles. and part of that is because they don't have a lot of depth on this roster and uh, without going all the way down the rabbit hole, it's basically you know they didn't, re- they, didn't they didn't replace guys they don't have uh, at least they, they're not willing to go over the luxury tax line all, all kinds of things but it's a very thin roster in a certain in a couple of uh, different places and uh, that kind of takes away your margin for error and the other thing is this team offensively this year has not been what it's been the last couple of years and with a, a team built around Trey and this high powered offense that's kind of built this I don't know this this formula that was at least kind of effective the last couple of years. The biggest part of that was having an elite offense this year. The Hawks are like an average or below-average offense, and it's really hard for them to win games at a high, high level when they can't score at a high level because, you know, you saw in that winning streak they were scoring at the elite, at the elite level again, and then as soon as they stop scoring at that level, they're back to being a our team.
0: Host of Locked On Hawks on the Locked On Podcast Network, Brad Rowland joins us here in the com hotline. Brad, do you feel like that when this team is healthy, that it feels like they can play with anybody. And, you know, again, top teams and everything, you know, you saw against Dallas, you know, it feels like that when they're at full strength, they can hang with anybody in the NBA. It's just, you know, when they start to get those pieces away, like you said, you know, and they start, you know, having a starter here and a starter there, they just can't recover, but, it definitely feels like when they're at full strength, they can they can match up with anybody in the NBA with their starting five.
2: Yeah, that's definitely the case. I mean, if you look at the numbers even in the last couple of years, whenever they have all of their core pieces in place, and obviously the core changed a little bit over the summer with Murray coming to town, but even as far as like their front court with Collins and Capella, it's not a perfect pairing, but those guys have always produced when they play together. When you, when you when you throw in Trey with those two big guys, the results are always fantastic. And this has been a team this entire run, going back three years now, where their best is incredibly good, like you kind of allude to there. It's just that they have not been able to find that consistency level that other teams potentially have. They've had a really good half of the season the last two years. Their second half has been very strong, which maybe is a good sign for this year. But it's not; they've not been able to go, go ahead and put, put together the whole 82 games. And not everybody does that. It's obviously a lot to ask to be consistent over that long of a period. But the Hawks have been pretty sleepy for, like, long stretches of time. And part of that's injuries and all that. But it's also part of this argument, too, is that, you're never going to be full strength all these alone. This is the NBA. You're, you can't rely on being the team that you want to be perfectly set up. And that's been the issue is that when they're not perfectly set up, they can't sustain. And, like, it's not realistic to just bank on always being that team that is 100% healthy.
0: Brad, I brought this up on Friday, and I'll ask you, do you think DeJounte Murray is the MVP of this team thus far?
2: Uh, I, I probably wouldn't say that, but I understand why you would. I mean, especially – And in this run recently, I thought that Wing for sure, he was the best player and the most valuable player. I think he had a a pretty long stretch in the middle of the year, maybe the early middle of the season, where he kind of had a swoon and the Hawks were not playing particularly well. Early in the year, he had had a nice start. Um, You know, it's one of those things that's like – Obviously, Trey is the best player on the roster, but he's not having the best season. And I actually argued early in the year with Capella was their most valuable player so far this year just because of the fact that his, um, his defense anchored them and it was really the defense that carried them to some wins in the season. Murray kind of does both, and I guess that's probably the best argument for him is that he's more of a two-way player than Trey. I'm still lean Trey's direction, but uh, acknowledging that he's not been, his, not, not been his best this year overall, I could see why you would think that about Murray, because he is a very important piece of what he When he has it going, if you saw last week, the Hawks are a lot harder stuff.
0: And I say it because I really do think that, and look, even go back to opening night against Houston, that there are Probably six or seven games that last year's Hawks would have lost had they not have had Dejounte Murray. Um, whether you know, listen, even even against Luca, when I, I think it was he was one for nine, um, you know, for the last nine minutes of that game, like it just feels like that there are games that had they not had Murray on the court, they would have lost a bunch of these games last year and been even really worse off than and where they're even at right now.
2: Yeah, I think part of the appeal of getting Murray in the first place was the ability to uh, make tough shots and take tough shots in a way that in previous years, we saw in the, in the playoffs, especially last season, I think his the trade to get him was kind of a direct reaction to that Miami series, but we also only had one guy that could really create and make a tough shot, and it was Trey. And I think they all, they all kind of knew that. Maybe some Bogdanovich sprinkled in there as well, but they, they really wanted to go out and fix that problem. DeJounte is uh, built for those moments. He likes those moments. He likes to get those. And uh, honestly, he's, he's a very adept, almost, almost, almost too adept sometimes, at creating those tough mid-range attempts that are very valuable if you can make them. I think your point there is great in that he's going to have to uh, keep doing that, and I think he's pulled the games out of the fire as a result. The other side would be the Hawks maybe are not clicking at full strength all the time when they play together, but I think that, uh, again, that's, that's part of the appeal of having him is just having somebody else when Trey's not cooking, which has been happening more often this year than in previous years, to kind of have someone to go to and have him uh, pull games out at the end.
0: Host of Locked On Hawks, Brad Rowland joins us here on the waitfor.com hotline as we talk some Hawks basketball. Um, so it's the million-dollar question. You know, are they going to be buyers at the trade deadline? Are they going to be sellers? They're $1.9 million from the luxury tax. I really do believe that there's been a concerted effort, and I would even say that, you know, it it may even be part of the reason why the former general manager isn't here now that, you know, Tony Ressler always said, "If if it makes sense to go in the luxury tax, we'll go in it. But right now it hasn't made a whole lot of sense. So do you think that they're buyers, sellers? Where do you think that they're going to be come trade deadline time?
2: Yeah, it's obviously like you said, a million-dollar question. I do think that the the tax line is not a 100% threshold, but they've treated it like that. going, Going back to the summer, I think they did some moves, especially the Kevin Herter trade, that were pretty much designed to get under that luxury tax line, and the consensus around the league is that the Hawks are not likely to go over that line. And you could certainly argue that as a 500 team right now that it wouldn't make a ton of sense to go over because, you know, why are you going to push into your chips now for the season that it's not a lost season, but you're not like in position to be a top two or three seed in the East either. There are ways to buy without going all in. I think there are contracts that the Hawks could move to where you could actually try to improve the roster and not add money. I think Justin Holliday is a guy you could kind of circle maybe you maybe you do Justin Holiday in a in a draft pick kind of trade to get someone who is a little bit better than Holiday but also still makes manageable money. I think Bogdanovich is a guy you have to circle as someone who has eighteen million dollars in the books, who could be expendable more so now with Andrew Griffin kinda of having a breakout in the uh, last few months. And then of course there's John Collins who has been in rumors for basically three years now. So There are ways to make trades and maybe not full-on buy and go all in, but maybe tweak the roster without having to go over that tax line. I think what this recent winning streak did probably, though, is take away like the full-on sell option. I was asked a couple of times a couple of weeks ago, like, could the Hawks sell at the deadline? I think that probably won't happen now because of the winning streak that they've had. They're sort of stabilized, at least to be in the playoff mix. And I think as long as that's the case, they're not going to sell. But there are ways to kind of buy on the margins, if that makes sense. So,
0: you know, during the five-game winning streak, you know, it's kumbaya and things were going well and and all that good kind of stuff. And then, you know, as soon as they, you know, lose to Charlotte, it's right back to we've got drama with Trey Young and Nate McMillan and their dust-up or whatever, the kerfuffle uh, that, that, you know, happened uh, on the sidelines the other night. I believe that Nate will not be here next year. Do you think that they – because something's got to shake up with this team. Do you think the coach is in play? Do you think that he will, you know, coach out the season? I mean, where do we stand with Nate McMillan?
2: Yeah, I think that it's likely um, at this point from what I have heard and what I understand that he will not be back next season – Um, As far as in-season is concerned, I think there's been even reporting out there that the Hawks almost want him to stay. Um, There was obviously the report out there that Nate wanted to at least consider resigning. And I think part of the reason why the Hawks would like him to stay around for now is because his bench is not full of, like, proven candidates. You know, when they fired Lloyd Pierce, they had a very natural successor to go to in Nate McMillan, who who had a proven track record. And it obviously worked out for, very well for them. This time around, they have some veteran assistant coaches. Joe Prunty's been around for a long time, but he's not Nate McMillan. He, he doesn't have that command to where if you fire Nate, you don't really have a backup plan in the middle of the season. And I know people are kind of uh, maybe fall in love with uh, external candidates, but no, no top-flight candidate is going to come in in the middle of the season from outside the organization. So I think they're kind of just holding the water for right now. Could that change? Could they have a miraculous run like, the, like, like, like what happened two years ago? for Nate to get reinvigorated and stick around and have uh, this thing come together. Sure they could, but I think from what I understand now, I would certainly be at least mildly surprised if he was back next year and maybe we'll see sort of that full cleaning of the house on the staff and maybe get a a full overhaul because it's a lot of Nate, a lot of Nate's guys that are in there now. So maybe that'll change things. Uh, I'm sure the roster will change in some form too. They have some free agents They have some ways to tweak the roster, but I certainly am uh, not, not quite on assuming. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's done, but I think that Nate's not going to be back if I had to guess.
0: Brad, last question for you. How much has the behind-the-scenes drama within the organization, how much has that had an effect, do you think, on the actual basketball court? I mean, you know, we've heard terms like dysfunctional and, you know, like we've not heard glowing things, you know, in the Sam Amick uh, article, you know, that came out a couple of weeks ago, did not paint a pretty picture. But how much do you think is really affected – what's gone within just between the lines on the actual court itself. I I don't really believe it's been kind of a a real effect on there. I think that there's just a lot of other things within the parameters of the team. But how much do you think that the backstage drama, if you will, has had an effect on the court product?
2: I'm more on your side of this. I I think that, yeah, it's not great to have a – Behind the scenes environment that's not going perfectly, um, but I, I tend to think that as far as on the court, it could be overstated how much impact there is between you know infighting in the front office in particular. They're they're just not with the team all that much. It's not that it's not really the same environment. You know, locker room stuff can have a little bit more of an impact. You know, coach player stuff can be a little bit more directly impactful. But so as far as the front office and the organizational dysfunction, I tend to be on your side. It's not going to be as big of a deal. But I will say. You know, the biggest thing in an organization is when you come into the season and you've already kind of not gone all in, but certainly pushed some chips in to get to Murray, and there's a mandate from the top down to win games, and everyone feels pressure, and then you don't win, that can kind of breed the negativity and the frustration that kind of leads to some ugly results. So it's all part of the recipe, but I think, for me, the biggest thing with any NBA team is if you have expectations to win and you're not winning, no one's going to be very happy. It's not, gonna be a, it's, not a, it's not a fun place to be all the time when, when, you're not, when you're not performing well. And as we saw last week, when they're winning, the vibes are great, and that's kind of the way it works in the NBA. Winning is good, losing is bad, and a lot of this stuff can be kind of viewed through that very, very uh, plain and also pretty obvious prism.
0: He's the host of uh, Locked on Hawks, your daily podcast, all things uh, Atlanta Hawks-related. And uh, Brad is uh, on uh, Twitter, at Rowland and joined us here on the com hotline. Brad, as always, buddy, appreciate it, man. We will chat again here soon.
2: Thanks for having me. appreciate it.